0: Hi, I'm Nathan McGuire. I'm thirty. I'm from originally from Perth, Western Australia, but I currently live uh, in Melbourne, Victoria. I work as a fashion model and many other. I don't know what else I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, I work in fashion as a model, and um, I'm a proud Aboriginal man. Um, yeah, that's pretty much me. Um, Perth is. It's actually a really great city to grow up in, but it's not a place that I could stay in for too long, so hence moving to Melbourne. Um, I grew up in a small bush town called Gijiganna, and that's about an hour um, east into the hills from Perth, Um, so I grew up there most of my childhood before moving to the city for uh, high school um, with with my sisters and uh, my mum. Home life growing up, uh, especially in Kijigannit, was really cool. Um, So we lived um, out in the bush on country. So um, I'm a Wajak Noongar man. So my country extends from north of Perth to all the way down the southwest coast of WA. Um, So being in the hills, I was surrounded by the bush country. My dad taught me a lot about um, like there would be days where I would – be just out and about playing and i wouldn't have to go back into the house because i knew what um what bushes i could eat like what berries i could eat roots um flowers um bugs like everything that was kind of just from the earth and culturally what my dad had taught me so even building fires um safely as a child and having a cubby house like building my um, which is like a little hut for yourself. I would just spend all day outside um creating my own little world and being able to just live off the land for the day like um out in Gijigana. So as a kid it was very good because I was connected culturally, but also um going to school in those kind of towns, you we weren't we were like the only Aboriginal family that was in that area living and going to the school there. Oh no, there was one other family. Sorry. Um, so we had a good balance of like our cultural world versus you know going to primary school at a predomin- predominantly white school as well. So growing up, I've had these two kind of uh, balanced, balanced worlds that I live in, and being able to code switch between the two is something that has become really natural and. Um, but yeah, growing up, growing up that kind of way where you're connected to country, but also in a modern world is, um, very rounding and, uh, fulfilling. Yeah. It's really amplified at the moment. It's nothing new for Aboriginal people or for people of color that Australia is, um, it's unconsciously. Sometimes not unconsciously, but it's a very, it's very racist country, like, and it's just because of the history, you know, and we don't, and it's also because of the way we don't want to speak the truth as well, which is the whole point of us talking about what's been happening. And, you know, um, when... You know, when we saw what happened with George Floyd in the United States, which is so tragic and like mortifying to see, you know, we can't barely watch that footage. Um, it just echoed such a like massive sound of like, why isn't anyone waking up? And when I saw that people were reposting and they should be. We should be talk- having these discussions around race um, or racism. Um, I was like, why? Literally, it was the same week as Reconciliation Week in Australia. And the first day of Reconciliation Week, Rio Tinto, blew up to mine a 46,000-year-old site, sacred site of, um, for Aboriginal people in Western Australia. And I did a post saying, "Where is our outrage? Like, where is you know this? If we want to talk about Black Lives Matter, and we need to look in our own backyard and see the way Indigenous people, well, I can I can speak for myself and Indigenous people, how we've we've been treated here for over two hundred fifty years, like, um, and then that opened up a really great conversation just with my fo- with my following, and you know. Amplifying indigenous voices across social media um, and that that ticked over into like personal conversations as well when I was seeing people or working with people um, about you know the current state of why, why everyone's talking about black lives matter and um, you know've I've it's not anything it's not anything new. Um, But I'm really, in some ways, it's weird to say, but I'm glad the conversation is happening because I see Indigenous voices in Australia just speaking up and just saying it. Like, there's no point tiptoeing around it anymore. There's no time for that. Um, And Indigenous voices and people deserve more than, more respect, more acknowledgement to even be included in the constitution of this country. You know, it's not even, even have a treaty. We're the only country to not have a treaty with its Indigenous people. There's all these things that people talk about that Reconciliation Week was, it was the perfect, like, it was literal. It wasn't even a metaphor. They blew up that 46,000-year-old site for, for money. Like, it's just, Aboriginal culture doesn't come from a place of, of me, it's, a, it's about the community, it's not about an individual, it's like, how do we, how do we live together, how do we have legacy, how do we have, build, uh, how do we build greatness, like, it's, um. and how do we respect the earth, like. You know, that's, it's what it's founded in. It's what it's about. So there's been so many, like la- there's so many layers that are just peeling off and pe- like people, the best thing is that people, non-Indigenous people are engaging in conversation now. People are too scared to say anything before. If you engage in that conversation and you mess up and you say something wrong and then that person can correct you, that's. Like I, w- I would rather that than someone just have their thoughts and not, not think that they can ask or not think that that they can have impact on their friends, on their family about the way Aboriginal people are treated in our own country. Um, and you know, we like, and as an Aboriginal person, I get. It's tiring doing all the the work, giving information out because it's very it's very draining. Like the more you have to put out the more people that send you a message or try and talk to you about it while you're trying to pose and do a photo shoot. Because I've, I'm passionate about it, it's very hard to like it takes a lot of energy and concentration. But it shouldn't be up to Aboriginal people to Deal with a problem that didn't come from us. It came from outside of us, and but we we've been impacted. Our community's been impacted. So when when we talk about this, we're actually asking, you know, non-Indigenous people to break down their race, unconscious racial bias or why they think Aboriginal. Do they do they even know anything about? Have they met an Aboriginal person, people? Say I've never met an Aboriginal person. I was like, you probably have, or you, how come you don't know? Or who? I did a a really interesting post on social media. I said, who's your mob? Um, Or if you're non-Indigenous, what country do you live on? And everything was like, comments were like, flooded with people, non-Indigenous people, recognizing the country they were living on. And I was like, this is what, this is what this conversation is about. Is like, let's bring more of this back back in so you know that's it's time for it's time for non-indigenous people to unlearn the the racial biases they have or any stereotypes they have of aboriginal people or people of color that are in australia we can talk about home here you know um and relearn by engaging with indigenous communities and engaging with their Aboriginal friends by taking the time, going to the rallies, going to Reconciliation Week events, going to NAIDOC Week events, reading a book about, you know, like uh, Dark Emu by Bruce Pascoe is such an amazing book to start with if you're interested in um, Indigenous culture because it talks about, it's talking about the, techniques or the sustainable like farming um farming practices that aboriginal people had throughout australia before colonization and during like the start of colonization so all this stuff's been documented and he's put it into a great book so i'd recommend that as a good read but these are the things that like a book can take you like a couple like a week or you know depends how slow reader like me you are take might take a little while but you know, just get engaged and talk about it, break down the the nerves around talking about these issues because we all live here, we all, we're all here and we all need to like, we need to get a better understanding because they want us divided and we're st- like the more, there's people from all over the world here and once we understand each other a bit better, you know, everyone can, everyone's starting to, Wake up a little bit to what's happening, um, and I think putting Indigenous voices on the forefront of the Australian conversation um, is very important. Because even with the um, even with the bushfires that we had in January, well, over the summer, sorry, um, the bushfires we had over the summer, Aboriginal people have been managing the land for thousands and thousands of years, and we we know. That back backburning is is standard practice. That fire is a tool. That fire is safe if you know how to use it. It's not a scary, it's not a scary thing. So, just things bringing Indigenous voices in and um, including us in the conversation on our in our own country uh, is really is really what's been building up. And the way we've expressed it over the last couple of weeks with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, I feel like that's that's really important, and that's really changed changed a lot for how the media is coming out and how people are engaging. So I could go on forever, but I might I might wrap it there. <laughs> with my culture growing up between a White world and in my Aboriginal life was I I was very different to my parents' generation. Um, even my older sisters like I was always proud that obviously my dad's black like he's an Aboriginal man and we were brown kids like you know and we usually so I remember being like with all my cousins on my dad's side, just like very safe and knowing and very happy in our culture and very um, very aware of it. And then going into, like, because I played um, sport, like played field hockey since I was six years old, and on my mum's side is a very successful, um, very successful athletes on my mum's side. So going and playing sport and there being a lot of, and playing field hockey, there's, I don't think there's a lot, there's not a lot of Aboriginal people that play field hockey. Um, I was very like aware that I was, wasn't was fitting in with the private school boy, white boys or, um, or even like friends that we would, that my parents had that we would hang out with, would say insensitive comments while my father's, at the table, dining with them, you know, um, it was like, oh, I'm, you knew, you kind of know, as a kid, you know, it's wrong and you know, it's like, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit weird. But my dad's still here. So, or my mom, we're still here. I like hanging out. So it's fine. Must be fine. And then, so I was always really proud of it. And I never, I never hid, never hid my Aboriginality, um, from any of my friends and, uh, but as soon as I got, probably got into high school is probably when, and over the last few weeks I've been unraveling a lot of scenarios that happened in school that I was like, oh, hang on, that was actually, that was actually racism or that was actually, um, you know, like I how teachers treated me for the way I spoke. Um, You know, I would speak casually like I would at home with my family, um, which most Aboriginal people know. You speak very differently when you're at home (laughs) with your mob. And, you know, there's a lot of slang. There's a lot of language being spoken. There's um, a comfort in your culture. But when I brought it to school, I would be told off for how, I spoke and when I unraveled it, I was thinking, oh, they're not telling off, they're not telling off um, like other kids from second languages for how they speak because that's how they speak at home. I was like, you know, as an adult, I'm thinking, oh, why was I being singled out for the way I spoke at home compared to how other people from other races were speaking at home, bringing it to school as well. Um, And I didn't actually realise that that was like a, um, I guess you call it, we call it a microaggression where it's something that's like, and Australia is very good at it. They're not, they're very good at hiding the casual racism. And, and, and it's because it's unconscious, they will just say something like, don't speak like that, use proper English when you in my classroom. Um, so just things like that, were that were happening at school or even in art class, when the teacher put Aboriginal artworks up and I was explaining what they could mean or, and then a non-Indigenous student um, comes in with a white perspective and um, a very religious perspective, which, and she said this horrendous joke that, um, that was very racist. And I said, excuse me, like, you can't say that. That's racist. And the teacher looks at me and goes, why haven't you heard that before? And I was like, so no, and I shouldn't have to hear that while I'm at school. Like I was always very outspoken for, things that I'd heard during school that, um, had happened directly, like that art situation, that art class situation, um, not learning about Aboriginal history in, um, um, what's that, not history, (laughs) social studies in, not learning Aboriginal history in social studies and learning, um, you know, learning American history when we should be learning the truth about Australian history and i got told off for that um so without me knowing i've always been proud and always talked about it but i'm also very quiet and shy so i don't i'm not like straight up about it i'll raise the issue but yeah i'm just going like yeah being a bit older and in high school and then looking at back now there's even more layers that have been uncovered and I'm going... Because I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine um, and she was talking about how she went through the school system just, like, untouched by any, any sort of, like, I don't know. Like, she wasn't against the grain of the system. She's blonde hair, blue eyes, beautiful girl. Um, and I said, well, that's... I was like, well that system's built for you. That system's built for you to thrive. They wouldn't even teach my, they wouldn't even mention my culture like when I'm at school. Like, and I was like, do you see what I, what I mean? Like, they're not mentioning the truth. They're not, they're not telling you how sophisticated Aboriginal culture has been for 46,000 years um, and how sustainable and how things that we look for now in our culture, you know, they're already doing that. So she couldn't see, like she was freaked out that she was like, oh wait, yeah. She's like, my my white privilege has gotten me through the schooling system of, I was like, yeah. And I was just to think about all the Aboriginal kids that live in remote communities, they're being taught this white way. That's not, it's not their world. Like, and she was starting to, you can see, it was so great because I got to see my friend who's always been my friend and never offended me, but I could see her switch. I get a bit emotional. I could see her switch and... Sorry. (sighs) This gets hard to talk about. Well, I'll just say, like, it was great to see my friend turn and become a real ally. Mm. So... Um, but my strength to talk is, um, it's funny because I've always been very quiet, but even playing sport, I was always pushed to a leadership role, like a captain role or like even at school, I was like a sports captain. So those kind of, I always get pushed to the, (laughs) pushed to the front to like speak and I just never... And I would always get so nervous to to speak, but I would just do it because I'll someone has to do it, so I'll just do it um, and I guess that's kind of carried over into you know currently what our conversations are about and what people ask me about so it's easier for me to speak up yeah straight out like in high school I was put into the West Australian Institute of sport for field hockey and basically was training, um, working my way up back to the Australian men's hockey team. The, um, that was the goal. So as I was like playing, I'd be playing in national tournaments um, and there was just levels at, of the sport that you have to tick off. So started playing un- like under 18s, under 21s state teams and from there I would get put into the open men's team which was the WA Thundersticks. So I was playing – I played – oh, I think it was like six six seasons with them from the age of 19 to um, to 25. And by the time I was 22, 22 I got – I was in the Australian men's development squad for hockey. So um, I was training with like the main squad – there was a group of us younger guys that would train with the main squad as like the development guys. So when it was an Olympic year, I think, and a world cup year, um, the following, one of the following years. So it was very intensive environment. Um, and I'd kind of burnt out from the sport when I was 24, 25. Um, and just was like, the sport was not making me happy. I just lost all all joy from it. And at that same time, I'd met my partner. So um, that was a whole not another conversation of like coming out and dealing with the reality of what my world was becoming. Um, and so I made the decision to make myself happy and move to Melbourne to be with my partner. And it's like been the best best decision I've ever made, really. Um, so, like, six years going strong. <laughs> and um, I didn't get into fashion until I moved, moved to Melbourne, and it was probably, like, six months later, like, since I since I got there, that I got signed to Vivian's, um, and I've been with them ever since. And just working like crazy now. Like everything's kind of just the path kind of turned and like, yeah, opened up. Fashion in Australia has been really, really good for me. I got embraced straight away pretty much. Um, And it's, it's hard to say, like we... It's hard to say because we don't have many like indigenous faces in fashion that we're just starting to now, like we're starting to get a lot more boys. We're getting, have got a lot of great girls. Um, but the, when I started five years ago, there wasn't anyone else working. Like there were guys that were signed, There were, but no one was being pushed to the forefront. No one was doing e-com jobs. Like there weren't, there wasn't even an online presence for bread and butter jobs which are like e-com um so australia the identity of australian fashion was is built on this blonde beach bombshells surfy kind of guy where that was what when i first came in i was like okay that's that's it that's what coming from sport into that. I was like, all right, this is what it is. I don't look like that, (laughs) you know? So, um, but I don't know what happened. I was very lucky to shoot with amazing, amazing photographers who just wanted me in their, in their book or brands that embraced me straight away to have me in their campaigns. Like in my first, first year I did, a major campaign with David Jones, which was with Nicole Trumfio, Montana Cox, and Jessica Gomes. Like these are straight big Australian models, and then there was little old me, like just put in this awesome, like fun campaign alongside them. I think that was kind of like the the point of going, oh yeah, like this could be this could be cool while I'm over here. Like I haven't really done anything for like any preparation for fashion or modeling and, um, then yeah, then it's all just taken off and I've been able to travel. Like I've lived in London and worked with my agency over there. Um, and that took me to like Morocco and to Paris and to Milan and just like all these awesome little experiences that aren't out there for everyone to be like, Oh, he's done that. It's just like, it's great to have my own little journey and i can see things starting to especially in the last two years i think um i've seen more indigenous faces come into campaigns i've seen more people of color be put into the campaigns and um you know we talk about this word diversity which it's needed to be said but it's kind of like for me it's overdone and it's it's kind of like all right we need to move on from this diversity word because it just needs to be it just doesn't can't just be um, we'll tick the we'll tick the asian box we'll tick the aboriginal box um, and then you know or whatever like just have it because that model's bloody good and just have it because they look amazing um so I I see Australian fashion is like the resistance was there and then it's like this is the way the world's going this you're on board or you're not and fashion is usually meant to be on the on the forefront of that I feel like they are overseas but Australia we always like to try and catch up or try and um follow and I think we need to just start being a bit more more like leaders you know